I mean, they're so quiet, and, and my wife says, don't sing so loud, you know, you're like sticking out. And it's like, oh, I thought we were supposed to make a joyful noise. And uh, so I felt like singing right out here this morning, amen, and that's a blessing. Uh, I had a great time yesterday. How many were here yesterday that's here? Okay. Uh, those of you that weren't here, you see those hands, they're all millionaires this morning. And, uh, and you missed it, that's fine, you know, it's okay, but I just want to let you know that. Uh, we're here to make millionaires, all right? Healthy, wealthy, and wise. Uh, Joel Stein, no, not, not at all. If we do what God says, we'll be better off. That's the theme, that's the idea. Uh, than we would be otherwise, and that's for sure. Sometimes a lot better off uh, than we would be otherwise. So I enjoyed being here yesterday. I'm enjoying so far being here today, too. Known your pastor for a long time. I started out pastoring in Minnesota, uh, Minnesota, right across the river from Fargo, North Dakota, uh, and uh, just up from where Lawrence Walk used to be in South Dakota, and uh, for five long cold years. You think it's bad here, you got to try to live there amen, when it comes to weather. And then uh, I took a church in Pennsylvania, and I didn't have any problems in Minnesota except the, except the weather. And uh, and that's where I learned to pastor a church, was was there, by a baptism of fire. I was there only there two years. And went to Penfield. I was there 24 years in Penfield. Took a church that was morally and financially totally, completely bankrupt. And uh, combined it with another church that was in really bad shape. And uh, so we were there at Southeast, and the Lord blessed. And I were there for 24 years altogether. And then uh, Temple for five. And I had major back surgery. I was going to be off my pins for about a year. And, uh, and then I started in. After a year, I still used a stool a lot and things. Uh, to preach, and sometimes I still think I should. But anyway, God's blessed, and I'm I'm doing what I'm doing. I like doing what I'm doing, and the Lord's kept me busy. He's always kept me busy. I've never used a resume. I mean, I've put them out, but God never used one. And uh, when I was uh, in between churches there for a little while, about six weeks, I preached every Sunday except one, uh, and that that's because there was a a big hurricane came through or tornadoes came through uh, Ohio. And uh, they called me up. I was in Pennsylvania at the time. They called me up and they said, they said, Brother Craig, we can't have church today. Uh, everything is wiped out except the church, the parsonage, and the triple X-rated bookstore. <laughs> All right? So the wheat and the tares grow together, right? Yeah. And uh, But that you know, I had a wedding and funeral, and God just kept me busy. And I've not really uh, promoted myself or that, but the phone rings, and, and, uh, and here we are today. And so just whatever the Lord wants me to do, uh, that's what we do, and I thank the Lord for being able to be here uh, today. I see we don't have a clock, so let me take off my watch, and I'll try to be respectful of your time. Now, this, uh, these messages this morning are bologna messages. Uh, how many have ever eaten ring bologna? You know what I mean by ring bologna, right? You, you boil it, you peel the paper off of it, or do you pull the paper first, I forget, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you boil it and you eat it that way, and, but you just cut it anywhere you want, right? So when time's up, Cut it, and we'll start up the next time uh, where we left off. So I'm going to speak on total stewardship. I don't always use slides when I preach, but uh, money is kind of a boring subject for a lot of people. It isn't for me, uh, and it shouldn't be really. Uh, nothing in God's Word ought to be that way, uh, but just to kind of help you uh, focus a little bit as we go along, I've got the slides I've put together uh, for this particular uh, set of messages. And so stewardship is the bedrock of the Christian life. I mean, once you get saved, and you should be yielded to the Holy Spirit, obviously, 
Uh, but, it, but it's the foundation, really, because what we're saying is that everything that we have is totally surrendered and given over to the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. When a, when a, when a Christian really gets a hold of what stewardship is all about, they blossom, they skyrocket in their Christian walk. And a lot of Christians are stymied spiritually because they've never really gotten in their heart and in their mind uh, the concept of being a steward. Jesus said, the servant is greatest of all. And so if you want to be great, you want to be a servant, the Bible says. And servanthood to Jesus Christ is the, is the path to greatness uh, in, uh, in serving Him. And so we need to understand that when people really get the concept that I am not my own, I'm bought with a price. Did you know R.T. Ketchum? Did you ever hear of R.T. Ketchum? Yeah, he's a good old guy. I heard him preach when he's up in his 80s. And uh, he was blind and uh, a lot of physical issues. Uh, but I remember a missions conference and he preached. An old, big old guy, you know, and he's, his hands were like, I don't know, old people's hands get bigger as they get older. I don't know. But he would flop his hand over the pulpit like that and the fingers would go down forever. And he would say, ye are not your own. And he emphasized that over and over and over in that message. When a believer begins to realize that we are not our own, we're bought with a price, everything we have belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ and is His, it transforms us. Uh, for one thing, it frees us. It frees us from uh, the striving in our life because Jesus Christ is in control of everything. He's going to take care of everything. Uh, we can relax. He's our master. He's our sustainer. And He's the one that lifts us up, and, 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 uh, and we realize that all things work together for good. So that's a freedom that we have in our Christian walk that we don't have if you think you've got to do it all yourself, or you've got to uh, produce all yourself. It's Jesus Christ doing all things through us. And so I'd like you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 6. Now, verse number 8, I've got a guy in my Sunday school class, when I do this, it drives him nuts, because is it 6 or 8? Well, it's, we're going to start at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, but uh, chapter or verse 8 is our, is our text, okay? So we'll get there as we go along. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and verse number, we'll start with verse number 6, and we're going to talk about total stewardship this morning. It says in verse number 6, and this I say... He which soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly. I had an old timer in my church. The problem with getting older is you have a lot of good stories. But I had an old timer in my church. He uh, had a deacon's wife die, and I had the funeral. And this old guy, he was a relative. He came with his wife and deaf son. And uh, he was a grown man and a deaf son. The guy was an old old farmer. And now he was kind of a hobby farmer. He, he would farm with draft horses and, and do sharecropping with uh, people. The draft horses didn't go over good in Farmington with the joggers, okay, uh, if he would take them down the road and go to the field. But a guy said to him, he said, I want you to do a field of oats for me. And he said, okay, here's the money for the oats, here's the money for the weed killer. And uh, old Mr. Wigger, he got saved except for his tongue. He came to the, came to the funeral, and then he said to the, the deceased husband, uh, deceased, deceased this is his husband, uh, he said, I can't believe what your preacher did. And he said, well, what did your preacher do? He used the Bible. And I, he said, well, he always uses the Bible. He says, no, I don't believe it. You're lying to me. He said, well, come to church and find out. Next Sunday, I, you know what I did? I used the Bible again. Amazing thing. And uh, so I visited him. I led him to the Lord and his wife to the Lord and his deaf son to the Lord. 
and and the old man Wigert, everything got saved except his tongue. Okay, never got his tongue saved. You go to heaven, you meet him, he'll not have a tongue. Okay, uh, but everything else got saved. And he said, he said, I don't need your weed killer money. He said, uh, I, you know, we're not going to have weeds. And he said, no, no, you got to have weed killer. So he gave him the money. He bought twice the amount of oats that you'd normally put in a field, and sowed those oats. The guy couldn't believe the harvest, and there were no weeds. And he said, how did you get such a big harvest? He said, I doubled the oats and didn't use your weed killer. All right? And that's what the Bible says. You sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. You don't sow bountifully, you don't reap bountifully. Very, very clear. And I've seen that uh, play out many times. And so he says, it says, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall also sparingly uh, reap sparingly, reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now notice verse 7. Every man, the word man's generic for mankind, every person, this, is, this goes for everybody, every Christian. Sometimes we think that a promise of God's not for me, it's for somebody else. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Say, well, I didn't purpose in my heart. Well, you need to get a new heart purpose. You see, he's saying here your heart purpose ought to be to be a cheerful giver. All right, so he says, Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now here's our text. And God is able. Do you believe that? Yeah. Is God able? God is able to make all grace abound toward you. What, what, is, what is grace? In our churches, we talk a lot about saving grace. And amen, we ought to. But gra- you could preach on grace every, probably every service for the rest of your life and not cover the subject. Grace is every kind of blessing. You know, not all blessings we would consider good, but they are good because all things work together for good. But all kinds of blessings that is bestowed on the believer in this life as well as the next life is based on grace. Uh, we're grace preachers, okay? That doesn't mean we're Calvinist preachers. Somebody says, well, I'm a grace preacher, meaning they're Calvinists. No, we're not Calvinists, but we believe in the grace of God. Uncle Buddy Robinson, he was a Nazarene fellow, he said, well, I believe in the second work of grace. And Baptists would say, well, hey, he, Uncle Buddy would list. Baptists said, well, we have, we have all kinds of grace. We do. We, we are under the grace of God every day over and over and over again. He said, well, if, Uncle, if you Baptists have as much grace, you'd let Uncle Buddy have at least two. And you, you know, so, but we, we have grace poured out on us all day long and in every way and, and, and in the believer's life. So God is able to make all grace abound, that means to fill up and overflow, to abound, fill up and overflow towards you, that ye always, that God never fails, he always, having all sufficiency, he's able, in all things, that's, that's the magnitude of grace, may abound, filled up and overflowing, to every good work. Good works. What's our grace for? Our grace, our giving, is to unleash the grace of God in our lives so that we have a more so we have abundance and sufficiency overflowing to do what? To do good works. To do good works. We preach a lot against good works, don't we? You're not saved by works, you're saved by grace. Well, amen, that's true. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't do good works. Good works should demonstrate the fact that we've been saved by grace. And so I, I look at some people, I know some folks that, that are unsaved, that demonstrate more good works than folks that are saved. You go to some churches, all they preach is good works, good works, good works, and some of them will be your best neighbors. 
You know, because they're doing good works. You know, they're, they want to be a blessing. That's why you hear this Minnesota nice, you know. Well, that's what they're taught in the Lutheran church, that they need to be, you know, doing good works to, to, uh, make, to please God in their lives. Well, good works won't get you to heaven, uh, but good works will show the world that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is heaven. It will show the world that we have something that, that's different. God says as we give, God bestows grace upon us overabundantly so that we might do what? Demonstrate good works. My uncle, I'm not sure he was really saved. I talked to him over and over and over again, and I hope he was, but he adopted two elderly ladies. It was up on top of the hill. They'd come and live there in the summer. He'd go up there and mow their grass and take care of the issues in their home and, and uh, whatever, and uh, I mean, just, just to be a help to them. And we as Christians uh, ought to be a help to those around us. We ought to be a blessing to those around us. So God gives us grace as we're good stewards to be able to reach out and be a blessing to someone else. There ought not be a widow in this church that can't get her lawn mowed, okay, if she can't do it herself. That's just one illustration. I don't know anything about widows and, and their lawn mowing needs here, okay, amen? Preacher didn't share anything like that. I'm just saying, there ought not be a Christian that if they can't do for themselves, that isn't that does not have their needs met because we as Christians ought to shine, the world ought to see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven as part of our stewardship. I think of stewardship is money, okay? That's a big part of it, but it's at every area, every aspect of the Christian life. The Bible says every word is going to be brought into uh, judgment. Every idle word. Think about that. That you know, I've I've told my people who are the who's the 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 uh, most uh, person in the most jeopardy in a church it's the pastor it's the pastor why because in a multitude of words there one is not for sin who who uses the most words us preachers amen i mean we're just talking all the time uh, and one is not for sin we're supposed to preach the whole counsel of an infallible book and and there's no way a preacher can live the whole counsel of an infallible book absolutely perfect because we're still fighting that old sin nature and so, you know, we're the ones that really need to guard ourselves even more than the folks in the pew. Because we talk the most, and we have to preach a whole counsel of God. I can't live up always with the whole counsel of God, although I try. And that's, that's as best as we can do as believers, is be submitted to the Holy Spirit and then try to live up to that, that life. So stewardship is the whole spectrum, spectra, spectrum of careful management of everything God has committed to us. That's our tongue, okay? That's our language. That's our words. That's how we talk to one another. You know, John Wesley, years ago, was holding a meeting, and he had one of those, uh, you've seen those ties where it's like a bow tie and the strings come down? And it's, you know, it's an old-fashioned, you know, back in the day. And uh, so he preached a meeting, and a lady came up to him afterwards and said, Mr. Wesley, uh, you're... Your strings and your tie are far too long. They, evidently, it was worldly, you know, to wear a tie with longer strings, and they're far too long, and they greatly offend me. And he said, he, so he said, he said, is there anyone here that has a pair of scissors? So somebody uh, produced a pair of scissors, and uh, Mr. Wesley gave them to the lady. He said, Madam, I don't want to offend you, so you can cut off the strings just however think long you think they ought to be. She took those, snip, those scissors and snip, snip. And he said, thank you, ma'am. He said, may I have the scissors? And so she gave them back to Mr. Wesley. Mr. Wesley said, madam, would you stick out your tongue? It's way too long. It greatly offends me. I'd like to snip some off. <laughs> so, so, 
But, but boy, aren't we sharp with our tongue? We're a steward of what comes out of our mouths. We're a steward of how we treat others. We're a steward of how we talk to others. You know, every idle word, the Bible says, will be brought into, into judgment. And so we're going to look at sharing, spending, and savings, three areas, the whole spectrum of careful management of everything uh, in the Christian life. We're accountable to God in these areas. When you talk about stewardship, oftentimes you talk about time, talents, and treasures. That's a good outline. Everybody uses it. But we're a steward of our time. We're a steward of our treasures. We're a steward of our talents. Are we using our time properly? Are we using our treasures properly? Are we using our talents uh, for the Lord and uh, using them properly? And so we're accountable to God in all these areas. Okay, now we're going to look at God's prospering in, in today, throughout the day. God's prospering, careful spending, abundant giving, and wise savings. God's prospering, uh, careful spending, abundant giving, and wise saving. The Bible has a lot to say you know, about these things. Do you want to prosper? Do you want to be blessed? Now, there again, keep your finger in Second Corinthians. Go to Joshua 1.8. And God's telling Joshua, Joshua's taking over the leadership from Moses, and God's telling Joshua how he can be successful. In other words, many ways to judge success. Success, I believe one of the greatest ways to judge success is have you learned to have a contented spirit? I, was, I made a nursing home call one day, and I was a chaplain in a nursing home. And so I was kind of going door to door and seeing who I could be a blessing to. And there's this elderly lady that knocked on her door, uh, on the, side, you know, the, the door frame. And right away I knew I was in the presence of God. It's a, it's a strange thing how sometimes you just know somebody loves the Lord. And I, I went in, I said, I'm Chaplain Craig. And she got a big smile on her face. She had a Bible and this and that. She had a big smile on her face. And she said, I just thank Jesus that I can get out of this bed and use the bathroom on my own. I mean, I haven't thanked Jesus for that today, if you, if you want to know. I'm saying that woman was prosperous. That woman was successful. She's in a nursing home. Maybe she's on Medicaid. I don't know. But that woman was successful because she was content in the state she was in. And so success can be, labored a lot, uh, can be labeled a lot of different ways. But notice there's a couple places in the Bible where God talks about success. And Joshua 1.8 is one of them. God's preparing Joshua to take over for Moses. It says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way, what? Prosperous. And then thou shalt have, what? Good success. Prosperity and success by submitting yourself to the Word of God. Uh, Psalm chapter 1 and verse number 1, again we see this uh, idea of, of, uh, of success. Uh, Psalm chapter 1 and verse number 1. I've got it memorized, but I want to read it. It's a good psalm to memorize. Psalm chapter 1 is the blessed man. Who's the blessed man? That's Jesus. Very good. Who said that? Yeah, excellent. Psalm 2 is the cursed man. Who's that? That's the Antichrist. Okay? You can read those two psalms later. Uh, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. So we don't want to do that. Stand up the way of sinners. Don't do that. They're sitting see the scornful. I know some, some people, some believers are just scornful all the time. 
No matter what you say, they got something negative to say about it. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Joshua agrees with Psalm 1 that the way to success and blessing and prosperity in a Christian life is to delight yourself in the law of the Lord. You delight yourself in the law of the Lord by looking for Jesus on every page. You delight yourself in the law of the Lord by looking for crosses. Look for the cross. Crosses everywhere in the Bible uh, and in the Word of God. Study to show yourself approved. That's not in the other versions, by the way. Study to show yourself. Somebody doesn't want you to study, evidently. It might show that they're wrong in their translation. But study to show yourself approved in God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. And so and when you learn how to divide the Word of truth and study it and enlighten it, God will prosper you and give you good success in, in your uh, Christian walk. All right, so God's prospering, spending, abundant giving, and wise savings. Uh, we want to look at God's prospering first. We are the most blessed people on the face of the earth. I mean, we really are. Uh, the United States is blessed beyond all other people. We have 5% of the world's population, and we enjoy 50% of the world's material wealth. Uh, I was in Holland. I, I did some evangelism there twice and uh, in and near Amsterdam. And, you know, I, I stayed in a typical home in Amsterdam. And you know what? I wouldn't trade it for my modest downsized home in Baldwinsville. I mean, we, didn't, we don't live extravagantly. We downsized. Uh, there's only the two of us. We don't need a big fancy house. And we downsized. But what we have is better than the average home that we saw in Amsterdam. I mean, the, the stove's only this big, right? And to get upstairs, there's, it's almost like a winding staircase, very narrow. They can't get their beds and, and bedroom furniture upstairs. They, you look at the average home, you look at pictures of uh, homes in Amsterdam, and it'll be like, it, it's fancy, but it'll be like a hook on the outside of the upstairs window. And to get their furniture up, they have to hoist it up the outside of the building and take it through the large windows to get it to the upstairs because the stairways are so narrow. All right. Uh, when I was there with the missionary, I said I was, I was fighting a couple lawsuits here. I was involved in six altogether like this. I won them all, too. But anyway, some people don't like me. Do you know that? But uh, yeah, I know. And I know I'm the nice guy, you know, really. But but uh, anyway, anyway, I, di I, di I don't digress. OK, uh, but I said, I said, look, I don't want to have to drive and follow you everywhere we go or whatever. So I'm, I'm going to run a van, and we get all your kids in, your, your family in, and, and my family in. We'll all be together in a van. You drive. I can't read the signs. I don't know Dutch. You know, I don't know what you know, yield or whatever. And I don't want to fight a lawsuit in two continents, right? So, so I said, uh, just, just as well, I'll just run a van, pay for it, and we can all ride together. Old preacher said, there's no place to park a van. You can't, you can't get them in the parking garages. The parking spaces are too narrow. And uh, where we live, the spaces are too narrow. He said, we can't do that. He said, you've got to run a car. So I did run a car and was real careful, okay? But that's, that's one of the most prosperous nations in the world. I'm glad that I live in America. Amen. I mean, I'm glad I live in this country. And uh, for all the problems we have here, we live in the greatest nation in the world. Uh, to live in. Even our poor people live better than a lot of the places around the world. So we enjoy 51% of the world's wealth. Uh, we have many of the comforts that we enjoy uh, the world only dreams of. When I was in Romania, 
Now, right after the Iron Curtain came down, we were in the high-rise apartment buildings that the commies built. They only had hot water like two or three days a week. And just they had cold water, but not, not hot water. It was provided by the government, you know. One of the, one of the neighbors, uh, I said, what do you do for a living? He said, I'm a guard at the power plant. I said, oh, that's, that's nice. He said, well, I've not been paid in I forget how many years. I said, well, why do you do it? He said, well, I might get paid someday. Yeah, he said I get a he said I get a quart of vodka at Christmas. I'm not promoting vodka, but that, he was happy about it at Christmas. And I said, well, how do you make a living? Well, on about a a small parcel of land, he's got his uh, milk cow, he's got his chickens, he's got you know a little vineyard, he's got all that stuff. They put all that up, and then he has a big vineyard on the hill across the road, which he somehow sells you know the things there, and somehow they make it. Well, I'm glad, and I'm glad I live in America. See, I'm glad I'm not hindered uh, as much as they are uh, by their government. And so we are so blessed. We have automobiles that run for the most part. You, you, go, to, you go to Romania, you know, they're, in these communist countries, ex-communist countries, they think the government's the only one that can do anything. And so the government builds the cars. And they have, a, it's called a Dachshund, I forget, Dotson or something like that but it's a government car, they make the body out of plywood. Plywood. So if you have a fender bender, you go to the lumberyard and fix, fix, <laughs> fix your car. And so the hung, I think it was the Hungarians, if my memory right, they built their car, but theirs built out of metal. And the Romanians said, our cars are just as good as your cars. And they said, let's put them on a track and see, and, and run them, you know, for like 100 miles. Well, they both ran, okay? And then they said, I'll tell you what, let's take the doors off. And run them. And you couldn't get the doors back on the Romanian cars, you know, because it was so out of shape. But, I mean, even some of our crummiest cars are uh, better than what they have there. The Haitians have a, a saying, and not the Haitians, I say Haitians, Romanians have a say, a saying, he who has no car has a problem. He who has a car has a problem. Amen? <laughs> even the police don't have cars. You'll see the police standing along the road thumbing. And, buddy, you better pick them up, too. If you pick up a hitchhiker, they expect the hitchhiker to pay you, but you don't expect it from the police, okay? And you, you, you imagine the police hitchhiking to, to go to a crime scene, and uh, that's the way it was when we were there. I'm glad I live in America. I can call a policeman, he'll, in 15, 20 minutes, he'll be here. By then everybody's shot up and dead, but I mean, he'll, he'll be here and help clean up the scene, right? Uh, I'm, thank God I'm in America. And so we have a, whoops, what did I do? Okay, that was a. We have warm, clean clothing, uh, freedom to choose our vocation, liberty, and uh, political rest for the most part. I mean, compared to, I was at, in Haiti when there was an attempted coup, and they, there were six people murdered right outside where I was sleeping, and a Canadian uh, guy came in and ordered seven body bags and looked at me. So anyway, uh, we have so as believers, we have abundant source. We have abundant source. Well, when I was in Haiti, everybody, I'm not a big UN guy, but they looked pretty good to me when, when they, uh, everybody wanted to shoot us all up. Uh, Christians have an abundant source. God has all ability to meet our needs. He is a vast reservoir. He created all things, continues all things, and controls all things. Very important uh, to realize. See, when you realize that you've made nothing, and anything you have is because of God's created ha creative hand, and allowance for you to have that thing, it changes your life. 
if I paint a beautiful picture, okay, which is not going to happen, trust me, but I've always wanted to draw, you know, and that, but I, I can't. I can draw a pig in a house. But if I, if I were able to paint a beautiful picture and I laid it here in a seat and you took it and went out and sold it for $1,000 and kept the money, I'd be pretty upset about that, right? Wouldn't you? Okay, because that's my painting. That's my creation. God created all things. Without Him, nothing was made that is made in heaven or earth or under the earth. So when we say that's mine, God's saying, no, wait a minute. No, that's mine. And God just allows us to use what He has entrusted to us. And so uh, everything, Psalm 50, 10 through 12, for every beast of the field is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to him. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Colossians 1.16, for by him, Jesus, were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him. Now get it, and for him. Everything is for the glory of God. When we sing, we need to realize we're singing to God. All right. When we do a special, we need to realize we're doing that for Jesus Christ. When we earn money and put it in the bank, we need to realize that that money is for him. We manage it on his behalf. And so we have abundance of supply. Uh, notice uh, our text, 2 Corinthians 9.8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Overflowing, abound toward you. Now that's abundant supply with God. So God is able to make all grace abound toward you. So if God's a giver, what's that make us? Huh? Makes us a receiver. Right? There are a lot of people say God's giver, so we ought to be a giver. Well, that's true. But if God's giver, got, somebody's got to get it. Amen? Might as well be me. Amen? Uh, if God's a giver, I want, I want what God has for me. I remember John Rice years ago, he said he had a dream. He dreamed he died and went to heaven. And God said, John, I want to, I want to show you something. So he took him by a big warehouse. And I don't know if they have warehouses in heaven, but in the dream, he, they did. And God opened this big door, and it's full of packages. And it all had John Rice's name on them. And John said, well, I knew when I get to heaven, I had a mansion and golden streets and tree of life. That's great. But I get all this stuff too? Because, oh, no, no, no. Those are the things you should have had if you'd asked me for them. He said, but you don't need them up here. Somebody says, well, I'm going to go into debt. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Well, did you ask God to give it to you? I don't know how many times, and sometimes in my life and the lives of people I've ministered to, how many times somebody went out and bought something and didn't realize that somebody is fixing to donate that or give it to them. And they wouldn't have had to spend that money. I've seen that happen over and over again. See, I'm going to tell you something else. When God gives you unexpected money, don't spend it right away. Because there might be an unexpected need. Doesn't, doesn't he say, doesn't he say I'll, I'll, I know what you need before you ask? Right? So I've seen that over and over again. Somebody will get a, a blessing and they'll say, wow. And they go out and they, they blow it on something and then they have a need. And if they just waited, 
on God and, and, and ask Him about, you know, what should I do with this blessing, uh, their need would have been met. God meets our needs before we have them many times. And so we need to be careful with that. So we have abundant supply uh, from our God, and so this uh, grace comes toward us that we might have good works toward others. That's the whole idea of it. So abundant uh, supply. He, we have an abundant source because He created all things, and He continues all things, and He controls all things. Notice Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 1. I love the, particularly the first few, I love the book Hebrews anyway. It's just it's deeper than I can swim in. But notice what it says. This is neat. Hebrews 1, 1. God who at sundry times and divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by a son. Well, who's the son? The son is the word of God. John chapter 1, 1 and 14. Jesus is the living word. This is the written word. He speaks to us through his word. Has spoken to us by his son, whom he, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Jesus is the heir of everything. And you and I are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You know what that means? That means we have everything He has. All grace is abounded toward us. You know what else? Jesus died, so that gave us the inheritance, but He rose again, so we share it with Him. Isn't that cool? I mean, if I die, you get, not you, but my kids or my wife would get my inheritance. If I rise again, we can enjoy it together. Anyway, so that's how you get, anyway, I don't know, that's fine. Well, I was going to say, that's how, I like, if a life policy, your, your wife gets a million dollars on your life policy, then you get resurrected and you can go out and enjoy that million dollars, right? See? See, that's, but that's the, that's the idea with Jesus' resurrection. So now we're joint heirs and heir of all things. Anyway, whom he hath appointed heir of all, heir of all things. Now get this, by whom also he made the worlds, plural. He made all things. He's the creator of all things, right? who being the brightness of His glory and express image of His person, that has the idea of an identical stamp. So like, you, you, know, and they, you notice how they stamp nickels, and each nickel is supposed to be perfect, exactly like the other one. Jesus is the express stamp of the image of God the Father. He's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's, he, if you want to know what God the Father is like, read about Jesus. That's why I think God gave us four Gospels. I mean, I know there's different aspects and this and that, but God, I think we ought to read the Gospels four times more than, than everything else. So we need to know what Jesus is like because that's what God's like. So express the image of His person upholding all things. Let me, let me uh, paraphrase that. It says upholding all things, meaning up things are up, up, all things are upheld by Him. Upholding all things, how? By the word of His power or His powerful word. All things are upheld, kept together, kept from going back to nothing by the Word of God. He upholdeth all things by the Word of His power that He had by Him, uh, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down, interesting little factoid, uh, there were no seats in the temple. Well, why did He sit down? Because His work was finished. See, So there is now. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So what it's saying here is that everything came from nothing that is. Everything that is came from nothing, and it came from nothing by the power of the Word of God. Okay, Everything is kept from going back to nothing by that same power. 
If God reined in the power of the Word of God, everything would go back to nothing. I just read a book. Uh, I don't recommend it. I just I finished a book called Please to Meet Me. And it has to do with our DNA. The guy's a total atheist. Okay, absolutely. A lot of interesting stuff in the book. not recommending it. He cannot, in his human arrogance, understand how there could be something beyond this world. This world is just an illustration of that which is real. See, Paul talks about celestial and terrestrial. And when you get that concept down... We have celestial, we have terrestrial. Terrestrial is a whole different world, and it's accessed by a door. John said, I looked up and saw you know, a door. And there's different places where heaven opens up. The Bible says it's going to open up like a scroll someday. That's the real. And I know that because in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that the tabernacle was just an illustration of the real one that's in heaven. Everything we have here is a kind of an illusion in a sense. Not really, but it is. So if God created all things from nothing, He's the owner of all things, and He's the one that keeps everything from going back to nothing. In other words, scientists now don't know how an atom stays together because of the way the electricity works in an atom. An atom ought to blow itself apart. Thank God it doesn't. What keeps that atom together? The power of His Word. This book's way ahead of science by His powerful Word. If that's true, then what right do we have to say, this is mine, that's mine, I'm going to go here and I'm going to do that? You know, James says we should say, by God's will we do those things. And so when you get a paycheck, how dare you say, I'm not going to give God 10% that He requires of me. Say, that was Old Testament law. No, that was under grace. You say, well, it's not in New Testament. Well, yes, it is. It's in Hebrews and it's in Matthew. That's New Testament. But, before the law was given, what was it? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Abraham tithed before the law. It's just that tithing was incorporated into the law because it was God's way. And the illustration is Abraham giving tithes to Melchizedek in the book of Hebrews, New Testament. So, you know, don't give me this stuff. Well, we're under grace. We've got to give more. Okay. I'm not going to fight with you over that. If you want to give more, give more. I'm, I'm all for that. And uh, so anyway, God is the owner. And we got, i got to quit. God's the owner. He's the creator. He's a sustainer. We're his servants. And when we get this down that we just manage in the place of God, then we will skyrocket in a Christian life. As long as you keep saying me and mine, me and mine, you'll never grow much in a Christian life. That's powerful prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this Sunday school lesson that we were able to study your word. I pray that you seal these truths to our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.